Welcome to the New Life Podcast. We are a church in Masson, Ohio, and our goal is to let everyone know that God can give them new life. So whether you are local to our area or you are just tuning in for some encouragement today, I pray that this episode will bless and propel you forward to live that life that God has called you to live. without question if you keep up with media in any which way, shape, or form that we are living in the last seconds of the last moments the last days on this earth. Theologians for years have debated whether or not the Bible speaks of an end time revival before the return of Jesus. Those who say there will not be this great revival point to the rise of evil that was foretold in scriptures. Without a doubt, the Bible tells us that there will be an increased demonic activity, insurmountable amount of evil unleashed upon this earth in those last seconds, those last moments those last days here on earth. The Apostle Paul was extremely explicit in his writings to Timothy about this matter. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. He'd go on and write in another letter, in 2 Timothy, and he would write in the third chapter of this, he would say, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, continent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having forms of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. He would go on in another chapter, the fourth chapter, verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they keep to themselves teachers, having itchy ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The phrase latter times means a little later on, not far out into the future. That is, false teachers are going to arise within the church community almost immediately and continue on through our day and until the end of time. False teachers are not something new. 
If you study out scripture, you will find out that there were false teachers written in the times that these letters were written that went against what Jesus and the apostles taught. The point that is being made to us believers is very well made. The church and the genuine believers have to be constantly on guard against false teaching. Why? Because there is imminent harvest coming. This terrible danger of false teaching always confronts the church and believers. And note, this is a revelation of the Spirit of God Himself. It's not the idea of some preacher somewhere seeking recognition because of this novel idea. It is a warning to God's people, to each and every believer. Be careful. The Spirit has spoken expressly, that is, in specific terms, without a doubt. It has spoke in plain words, distinctly, so that there can be no question about what is being said. False teachers will arise. My wife had no idea what I was going to be talking about tonight. She was talking to me as we were getting ready to come tonight about certain big-name preachers. They don't even believe like they used to believe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Some of them no longer believe that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is their God, but they don't believe that Jesus is the only way. They don't believe in the covenant of marriage any longer. They don't even believe in the covenant of the distinction between man and woman any longer. Once that they used to preach and teach and believe and hold on to, they now let go. And this is what the writer is telling the church to be careful of. False teachers will arise. Supposed to be a picture of the future, a terrible picture of what the last days of human history would be like. But if you would notice it, I want you to take the uh, shocking fact and look here with me. This sounds, what he wrote to Timothy, sounds a whole lot like the days that we are living in now. We just do not think of our day as being as terrible as what some preachers would like to make it believe. We seldom sit down, study, and look at through spiritual eyes the godless marks that are in society today. But this is exactly what the writer tells Timothy. It discusses the godless marks of the last days. Marks that come close to painting a picture exactly of the moments that we are living in now. The fact points to our day as being part of those last seconds, in those last moments, in those last days. The Lord's return is at hand. One thing is sure. We must do just what Christ said for us to do. He said, be prepared for His return. For he can return at any moment. 
We need to have our shoes spiritually laced. We need to be prepared to leave this place at a moment's notice. Perilous times mean difficult, troublesome, trying, uneasy, hard, violent, threatening, and dangerous days. This picture is that of people turning to and fro here and there and knowing which way, not knowing which way to turn. These last days is a biblical term that points to the end of this present age. The days, the moments, the seconds right before the return of Christ and the end of the world as we know it. That second mark that we should look for, the last days will be a godless world. Sound familiar? Why would the last days be perilous? Because the world will become godless. I'm going to pause for just a moment and let you begin to think and get your head out of the clouds and out of video games and, and out of TV and out of social media and out of everything else going on around. And I want you to think how godless this society has become. And how we, as society, is being choked to accept it as the new norm. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. Unforgiving. Slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of godliness. And Scripture warns us, who is us? He wrote the letter to Timothy, the churches. He's telling the church folks, those type of people turn away. Even as Paul was writing these words, some false teaching had already seeped into the church and the future was not looking too bright. This was a prediction of Scripture. Paul was prophesying that the false teaching was to spread. The day was coming when apostasy was to sweep throughout the church. The idea is that the apostasy would be so great, many would follow after the false teaching and the whole church would become affected by it. Yet in the midst of all of this satanic assault upon the earth, there remains something still that moves against this assault and that is the church of the living God. It is the pillar and ground of truth which has been washed with the blood of Jesus and filled with the Spirit of God. Unquestionably, the church is in the hour of its greatest spiritual conflict. And yet God has called you for a time such as this. Never 
in the history of the church has there ever been the hardest hour for the church. And yet there has never been an hour in the church where the church has been blessed as much as it is now. And the reason being is this. God has called men and women for a time such as this and has blessed us for a time such as this because there is a time coming where there'll be no more time in this present world and there is a harvest that is imminent and it needs you to be ready. The devil knows that his time is short and he is unleashed to deceive and devour as many souls as possible. But as dark as the darkness will get, and it will get darker, the light and the glory upon the church will always be greater than the darkness that hell will unleash. Isaiah saw this. He saw this time coming. He saw these last seconds and these last moments in these last days. And he proclaimed in Isaiah 60, Arise and shine, for the light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Because of you, there is a church. And because there is a church, there will be the light of Christ that will break through this darkness in these last seconds, in this last moment, in these last days. You are this world's only hope. Spirit-filled, blood-bought, child of God, you are the last bastion of hope. The darkness that Paul spoke of is going to get deeper and deeper until the entire earth is covered. But in the midst of that darkness, there will always be a beacon of light that arises. To think for one moment that God is going to be outdone by the devil in the earth's final hour is foolishness. He told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 that he would build his church upon the rock of the revelation of Jesus and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Some key points from the passage in Matthew 16 and 18. The church is built on the revelation of Jesus. If you're here tonight or if you're watching online, if you're looking for a church, find one that preaches a revelation of who Jesus is. He is not a secondary prophet brought to this world. 
He is not something that is secondary to a priest or a father. He is not something made up by man. He is the incarnate, the flesh of an almighty God that came to this world to save us from ourselves. Sunday school programs are great. Music is wonderful and nice to have. But if there is no true revelation of who Jesus is coming forth from the pulpit into the pews and from the pews into the world, then the gates of hell will prevail against it. Jesus is building his church. The church doesn't belong to a man. It doesn't belong to a group of people. It belongs to Jesus. And for those who think that the church at the end time will be less powerful than the church in the book of Acts, I've got a question to ask you. Why would Jesus spend 2,000 years building something less than what he started with? I'm here to tell you this church is the greatest hour of the church that we've ever seen. I don't care. Go ahead, point to the Apostle Paul. We've got missionaries changing this world right now. Go ahead and talk about the outpouring in the book of Acts. We've got thousands upon thousands every day being saved. This is the greatest hour that the church has ever seen. The gates of hell will not prevail against this church. The church is not to be on the defensive anyways. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. The church is supposed to be on the offensive. We're supposed to be taking territory every day, winning souls every day, not worried about what's coming from the enemy, not worried about the darkness. We are the light and the salt of the earth. We are to take back. The enemy's trying to steal. We are to charge the gates. We are to get into the enemy territory. Preach and proclaim the light of Jesus Christ. He continued Jesus telling his sermon by telling the disciple how the church was to operate in this conflict. Matthew 18 and 19. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The keys of authority have been given to the church to bind and to loose. You might ask, what do the keys go to? The keys go back to verse 18, of course. We, the church, the living God, have been given authority over the enemy and his works in darkness. Whatever we bind on earth, Jesus his name is honored in heaven and backed by his power. Whatever we loose on earth is endorsed by God and is backed by his power. We have to stop speaking in negative terms when it comes to the harvest of God. The harvest is imminent. There will be a mighty revival in this hour. Why can it happen in Stark County? I'll tell you why. 
because people want to be negative and say it can't happen. It'll cost too much. It'll be too much money. It'll be too much time. But if somebody will say, I'm tired of living in the darkness. I'm tired of this world going to hell. I'm tired of my babies backsliding. I'm tired of my family leaving this and leaving that. And tired of my coworkers not. If somebody will say, we will, we will, we will prevail. Somebody's got to bind some things. That heaven would lose some things. Because a church without the power of God is nothing more than a social club. If we're not showing the power of God, we're not being the children of God, then what in the world are we doing? The church must have the power of the Holy Ghost. Zechariah 4 and 6, not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit, saith the Lord. We might have all the talent in the world. We might have the beautiful building. We might have this and we might have that. But if this place right here is not Spirit-filled, then it's just a bunch of stucco and drywall and two-by-fours and concrete. But when the Spirit of God is evident in this place, this becomes a house of the Lord. And great things take place with the church that grasps the hold of the Spirit of the Lord. That's why denominations have rejected the power of the Holy Ghost and have begun to wither and die out. Conference with friends. I heard stories of different denominations that are packing up and selling out and moving and church buildings being decimated and empty and nowhere, nobody is in those churches, those denominations that have been around forever. Why? Because they don't have the power of God. In our own city, in our own county, look around. You'll begin to see church houses boarded up congregations having to bind with another congregation just to have enough people to keep the light bill paid. I'll tell you why. Because people are tired of going to church where there is no power of God evident in that house. They'll settle for a gimmick and settle for secondary to have something to move in the house. I'm here to tell you today, a church, you can make a difference in this harvest if you will get a hold of the power of the Spirit that's living within you. Because people are hungry for the power of God. We gotta have a better program. We gotta have better music. We gotta have better preaching. We gotta have all this stuff better and better. That don't mean nothing. But when they walk into the doors here and they sit with you at a table somewhere at somebody's house or you're on your break telling them about Jesus and they begin to feel the power of God consume them, that's what they're looking for. That's what they're hungry for. That's what they desire. We can have all the programs in the world, but if we don't have the power of God, people won't be hungry for nothing less. People are looking, searching, not finding 
what they're looking for in traditional denominations. Contrary to those, in comparison, the Pentecostal movement has exponentially grown over the past hundred years. Christians who attend spirit-filled churches now make up 27% of the world's Christian population and 8.5% of the world's population. At General Conference, in our small organization, we talked about there was all but 10 nations in this entire world that now we have a church in all but 10 nations in this entire world. We are reaching the world. We know from church history that this is exactly what happened to the churches in Asia. The Asian churches were very, the, the very churches who were warned in the book of Revelation. There were seven churches, and out of the seven, only one remained faithful to the preaching of the word, the Philadelphian church. The other six churches became apostate. Many of the people turned away from the pure preaching and teaching of God's word. Why? What caused the apostasy? What caused so many people in churches to turn away from Christ and from the pure word of God? The present passage gives the answer, and remember, it was a prophecy. The apostasy had not yet happened. Two clear reasons are given why people turn away from Christ and why churches turn away from the preaching of the word of God. Number one, people are not going to endure sound doctrine. By doctrine, of course, I mean it's the doctrines, teaching, and instructions of God's Word, the Holy Scriptures, that were not only taught, taught by God Himself, but He taught His disciples, who in then turn taught the early church, who then in turn taught the churches that were spread throughout all of the area at the time. The only doctrine and teaching that is sound is that of God's Word. The point is this, people turn away from sound doctrine because they don't want to hear the truth. That's why pro wrestling made millions. There's two fellas sitting in a ring, hitting each other in the head all night long. Somebody's not walking out of their life. But yet nobody wanted to believe the truth. And people will leave church preaching sound doctrine. Not, they will go to a church not preaching sound doctrine because they love the fanfare and they love the pageantry and they love all the, the gimmicks and the storylines. And all of that appeases their flesh but does nothing for their spirit. And the storyline goes on from week to week service to service and they leave you wanting more of what's going to happen next week but yet nothing ever changes in your spirit and in your attitude in the fruit of your spirit and neither does your spirit get saved and number two people will want teachers who will allow them to live like they desire the Greek actually says that people will be dominated by their own lusts. 
They'll be living lives of lust and cravings and gratification. Lives that seek the gratifications of the flesh. Such lusts and cravings will so dominate lives of people that they'll seek ministers and teachers who will tickle their ears with the message of personal development and self-image. You don't need a guru to tell you how to live your life and be best at how you live your life day to day. You need somebody to preach to you against what you want in your flesh. If you want self-help, find a counselor. But if you want your soul saved, find a preacher who won't water it down, who won't let it go a little bit, but will preach it just the way the apostles preached the gospel. Let me just say it like this. The messages of personal development, self-image, philosophy, psychology, religion, and good works are messages that do nothing more than benefit men. They don't go far enough. I've preached on self-help. I've preached on the mind. I've preached on depression. I've preached on relationships. I've preached on love. But they don't solve problems of evil and selfishness within the human heart nor do they solve the problem of human death any person who is truly honest and thoughtful knows that no person or no group of persons not even the whole human race can keep a single person from dying nor infuse a serum into a person that will keep them alive forever moment that you took your first breath born from your mother's womb hell and death begin to race after you someday the Bible says that it will be for everybody there will be an appointed time for them to leave this world man is far short of perfection if there's to be such a thing as salvation as being delivered from evil and delivered from death and given eternal life in new heavens and earth, it has to come from God himself. So if the messages don't do nothing but make you feel better about the situation that you're in, that's preaching to you, your flesh. But if it gratifies and edifies and glorifies the God Almighty that's come to save your soul, that's the preaching the church needs today. We need to preach about finances, but it needs to be finances that glorifies God. We need to preach about mental health, but it needs to be about mental health that glorifies God. It's great preaching to preach about the home, and I love talking about marriage and love, but if it doesn't glorify God, then it's not good preaching. We need to have preaching that everything that comes around glorifies God. And we ought to not want it, we ought to push for it, and beg for it, and pull for it, and pray for it, and live for it. Itchy ears. They want the right to live the way they want to live and do their own thing. 
They want the right to be comfortable and at ease and recognized and honored and esteemed and not to secure position, authority, wealth, and power. They want pleasure and stimulation and gratification for their lust. And, and they want what they, that gratifies themselves. Therefore, they want teachers who will tickle their ears and assure them that the building up of their discipline, image, and personal development is good and acceptable just so God is honored and acknowledged. That immortality, immorality and carnality are forgivable. Both messages are true. They're not the whole truth. Just make me a better person. Leave my immorality and my carnality alone. Because God, He'll forgive me. God knows my heart. Scripture says false teaching is nothing more than fables. The Amplified New Testament says that people will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 Paul said it like this I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel which which is not another but there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you uh, let him be accursed as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that that you have received, let him be cursed. That's why true ministers of the gospel must preach the unadulterated word of God. Whether their wives like it, whether their parents like it, whether their big tithe payers like it, whether their congregations like it, if you are a man of God, you must preach the word. You ministers in the church, you men and women of God in the church, listen to me tonight. God's ministers, he's called you uh, for this hour, must preach while there is still time. Preach with fervency. Preach with God's indwelling spirit. Preach the truth. Because one man said it like this. It's almost midnight. The cry is about to be made. Behold, the bridegroom coming. Have you any oil? Are you saved? It's almost midnight. The master is on his way. He just might come tomorrow. He might just come today. It's almost midnight. The rapture of the church is about to take place. Shame on you, 
if you miss it. Shame on you if you're lost sitting on a pew in a church. Please accept God's amazing grace. Enough of the Bible has been fulfilled. This should give you, your conscience, a spiritual chill. It's almost midnight. Are your garments white? It's almost midnight. Have you got oil in your lamps? It's almost midnight. Midnight. Get right. Better get ready. Better get right. It's almost midnight. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2 For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. The believer does not have to fear this swift and sudden judgment. The thief in the night. Because the thief in the night will never surprise a believer. Christians are in a separate category. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness. So that this day should surprise you like a thief. Every day we're expecting the coming of the Lord. Every day my sandals are, sat, are put together. Staff is in my hand. My coat is on. And I'm ready to go. It's only those in darkness. Or those that are unaware of their absolute salvation who will be taken by surprise. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Praise God. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The unsaved, the unready, those that are on the fence better take heed to the warning of our God. Be ready, son of man. Comes at an hour. You're not going to expect it. All right, preacher. How can I be ready? God has provided the way for you to escape the judgment. That way, Jesus Christ by accepting his death, burial, and resurrection, you are granted forgiveness of sins, mercy, salvation with the promise of everlasting life if you will accept it and be obedient to his word. The thief is coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it. The time has been appointed. The angel's lips are ready to go. But you can be a child of the day. Don't put it off. Don't be like King Agrippa who almost persuaded me. This, this is the year of the Lord's favor. If you are a theologian, a studier of the word, you like to read, Study the letters of Jesus to the seven churches of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. It will reveal that there are three churches that remain until the end. Church of Sardis, you have a name that lives but are dead. This church represents religion having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. 
Unfortunately, after the church is gone, there's a possibility that a lot of congregations will be scarcely affected. Because instead of trusting in God, they'll trust in church membership. And it was the church of Laodicea. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This group is prevalent in the world today. But as the darkness gets darker and the light of the church gets lighter, lukewarm Christians are forced to choose. Let me just give a side note. COVID helped with that. Those that were lukewarm didn't make it. The church of Philadelphia, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which has come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That's us. While others will fade into the darkness because of the weakness in their spirit and the strength of their flesh, there will be those that will heed the word of God preached and taught by men around this world that refuse to cave in to the desires of this world. There'll be those that will stand strong. God will keep us. See, some of y'all, your whole mindset of the church is right here. Outside of 12th Street, you have no imagination, but just maybe a congregation here or there. This is a worldwide thing. I was just at a conference of ministers. Most everybody there are licensed or local. There were over 17,000 worshiping God. And not just some patty cake. I'm talking about everything they have within them. God's church is bigger than you. You've got a choice. You can either get on board or get left behind. This train ain't waiting for you to make up your mind. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is the glorious bride of Christ full of power of the Spirit. We shall stand in these last seconds of these last moments of these last days being adorned with the glory of God. How do we do that, Pastor? We pray like we've never prayed before. We fast like we've never fasted before. 
we read the Word of God like never before. We lay down things that makes our flesh feel good, but we know is wrong. The old adage is, when in doubt, just do without. Well, I don't believe those, those things taught the church for years. I just don't think that they're for me today. I would rather have those things and keep me saved than give a one inch back to the world and lose my soul. The church will make warfare in the heavenlies and we will be victorious. The battle spoken of in Ephesians chapter 6 will be our normal course of duty. On the day of Pentecost, Peter got up before the bewildered crowd and preached with the power of the Holy Ghost pouring from him. And he said these words, This is that. He was referring back to Joel 2 and 28 shall come to pass in the last days says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy I will show wonders in heaven above the signs and in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. These are the last seconds of the last moment last hours of the last days that this dispensation this world will ever have you can sit and hoard canned food and water and ammo and toilet paper all you want but while you do such this world is going to hell while you play games while you bicker over petty, non-important issues, this world, our community, our neighbors, our family are going to hell. Well, what do I do? You can only do what you know to do. Pray. You don't pray about yourself. Oh God, I'm a pathetic, I'm in a, I'm in a pickle, I'm messed up. No, you pray for your brothers. You pray for power to come upon you that you could pray for the sick and they'd get up and be made well. You pray God to give you dreams. You pray God deliver you to somebody to tell them about the goodness of Jesus. A few weeks ago, received a phone call Brother Jack, Brother Austin a young man came in to their place of work downtown Maslin he was of Hispanic descent from Puerto Rico and he needed insurance 
Well, if you know Brother Austin or Brother Jack, they have the gift of gab. I don't think you can be successful in insurance without having a little bit of that gift. They begin to talk. Found out they didn't have a church to go to. Invited them. They came. Three of them. I think it was Bob, Fredo, and his wife. Loved it. Last night, he walks into, Alfredo walks into a place of business, purchase a mattress from none other than my son-in-law, Daniel Marquez. And they get to talking, find out that they are products of the United Pentecostal Church International in Puerto Rico. They've been here for nine months, need a place to go to church. COVID has kept them out the last few weeks. Nine months, they were in our back pocket. Nine months, we knew nothing of them. Church, there's a burden upon your pastor to go downtown and to start a Spanish mission. Why? Why does this come up? Why does this happen? It happens because two young men love God and love souls and wanted to start a business, put their business in a certain spot. And I, I hopefully I'm not saying nothing I'm going to get myself in trouble for. But the reason they wanted to go there was because they'd have traffic and they'd begin to tell people about God. Because of that, a burden that had been birthed in me a long time ago is going to come to pass. If I have to pay the rent out of my own pocket, it's going to come to pass. Because how many more are right here in our back pocket that are going to go to hell if I don't understand and take seriousness that I'm living in the last seconds of the last moments, of the last hours, of the last days. We're starting a planted in Tuslaw here within a few weeks. We've already got it going. We've already got the teachers. We've already got people there that God has already brought our paths to that need to hear God, that live there, unchurched, untapped. I already had somebody has already got a hold of me about going to Canton South and saying, Pastor, our house is open. Let us be the one that teaches and, and, and opens up our house to win souls in this untapped, potential of Kent South. Why is this push happening? Why is this, this taking place? Because somebody has fallen upon their knees and begin to pray and they felt the burden that this is the last seconds of the last moments of the last hours of the last days of the coming of God. I don't want to get to heaven. God, look down my attendance sheet and say, good. God, look down the times I've paid my tithes and offerings and give to missions and say, good. You volunteered to do this and that. That's good. But who have you brought with you? First off, we need to make sure that we're right. 
I prayed Sunday. I prayed again today. But when was the last time you found yourself overtaken by the spirit of the God that you serve? When was the last time that you left, left self at an altar and flesh and its desires in its place and found and built yourself an altar and lost yourself in the Spirit of God? If the Spirit resides within you, then you need to stir up that gift because there's people in our back pocket that are dying and going to hell of which we as Christian soldiers are fighting against and will not be reached there's a harvest that's imminent it's coming it's going to happen you have a choice you can be saved you can be lost but you can't be both you can't wait on the trumpet to sound and say, hold on a minute, God. i got to make myself right. Or I'll catch you on the flip side. It's going to happen. When he comes for his bride, he's not looking for some side chick as well. He's coming for his bride. Where will you end up trumpet sounds when the harvest happens the end time revival takes place will you lose your seat you might lose your parking spot you might lose your department that you love so well because why souls are crying in the darkness for help you did nothing is the nightmare that we have to live. God is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. He will not force anyone to go against their will. For those who are hungry, have we become so satisfied? Feasting on the goodness that God has given us that we've lost the hunger to reach the lost have we become so satisfied with our pocketbooks being so deep and our material things being so defined our relationships being such that we've lost our hunger God will use us to usher in the greatest move of God in history that this church has ever seen. We will simply stay hungry. The harvest is imminent. You can't stop it. You can't slow it down. You can't try to get it to stutter. It's moving on church has got to be ready. We've got to be about our Father's business.
gnaw at us. It needs to gnaw up our stomach. We ought to cry some tears. It ought to move us with compassion. It ought to make us hungrier than we've ever been spiritually. And make sure not only am I right, my house is right, but those around me find this gospel through me. It's not typical Wednesday night. Wednesday nights have not been typical lately. I don't find that strange. I don't find it amusing. I don't find that weird. I find the hour, the moments, the seconds that we're living in necessary for such. If there's anybody in here tonight that needs to leave, God bless you. You can leave your tithes and offerings here if you'd like to, or pay them online, or give them on Sunday. But I wonder if there's anybody in the house today that just wants to build an altar. One stone at a time. Just one stone at a time. Just lay it somewhere. Sacrifice self apart. Let self just spiritually bleed out. There's no more life left within it. And I say, here I am, God. Don't say the words to him, use me, unless you're willing to go through what it takes. We are, without a doubt, living in the last seconds, the last moments, the last hours, these last days. And I must be ready.